Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we're talking to Gabriel Garcia. Hey, everybody. <laughs> so I ran into Gabriel on Facebook, of all places. Imagine that. And he put out something, something about a war stories, a game that he's coming up with. And it intrigued me enough that I followed him to his web page or Facebook page. And, and I asked him to come on because he's going to make an RPG. But first... We got to get those crucial questions out of the way to know who you are. We always ask this question. I always ask this question of everybody we do an interview is where your gamer roots start? Well, I guess you'd have to go all the way back to middle school, which is uh, sometime in the early 80s. And uh, actually, the person who introduced me to the whole gaming world was a distant cousin on my father's side that came over one time and only one time to my house and explained the whole thing of Dungeons and Dragons. I had no idea what it was about. I had no idea. There wasn't even a cartoon at the time. And, and, and then he disappeared. He disappeared. <laughs> he lived in an entirely different state, never saw the kid again, and he left an indelible mark so that I went searching high and low for anybody in my, in my school that knew about this Dungeons and Dragons thing, and then I, I did. I happened to fall upon a few friends that uh, that that's, that played it in their neighborhoods and whatnot. And and from then on, it was just a question of uh, you know forming the right groups and then gaming throughout middle school lunch periods, and then in high school once you had you know your your ability to be a little more flexible in terms of time, and we formed cliques of you know gaming groups that had similar interests, and that was that was where it all started. Wow. Yeah. So he yeah. was a traveling wizard, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I found him with Facebook. I found him. He runs some sort of bed and breakfast in Upper Peninsula, Michigan. It's <laughs> like in the middle of nowhere. And he's like, and I, I sent him a message. I said, hey, you changed my life. And he's like, hey, okay, cool. <laughs> we're, we're like cousins and somehow he's not, That's I don't great. know, he's just not one of those cousins that you ever see. But it was cool to run into him again. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. That's so, so you're playing in middle school and uh, which is weird to me because when I was in middle school, well, I, we didn't have middle school. It was junior high. I'm, I'm probably a little older than you. So we had junior high and I was playing when I was uh, 11 years old and somebody in, in my junior high wanted to start a D and D club. And I'm like, why would you want to do that? Yeah. And cause it was kind of like, you know, you don't want to be a nerd. And even right. in high school, I have a friend, who only until recently has come out of the gamer closet and decided that he's gonna he's not gonna hide his gamerness anymore. <laughs> but he he had to hit forty before he decided that. Oh boy, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So that's funny. So it was it was funny because you know we never we never you know went we never had like D and D club in our high school and we didn't uh, we didn't advertise our, our geekiness or our nerdness back then. Right. So, but did you, did you guys have, did you have any problems with, with that kind of social stigma of being a nerd when you were going to high school and stuff? Right. Well, the interesting thing is, is that I uh, have, have always had the, I guess the ability to have weirdly different groups of friends. I, I got a lot of people do that too. You have work friends, you have your, right. your childhood friends, you have your, you know, your friends that you've met from spouses or whatnot. But um, ever since I was a kid, I had my neighborhood friends and then I had my school friends right. and my neighborhood friends, I kind of tried to get them into it and they would insist that they would only ever play if it was raining. 
<laughs> that was the only time it would happen is if it was raining, then you can get them to stay inside and 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 we'll try this Dungeons and Dragons thing out. And 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 other than that, we were always outside. So I mean, I did have a pretty well-rounded uh, kind of upbringing where I was constantly playing football and biking and climbing trees and whatever. But then if it rained, which it happens in the in the summer down here in Miami quite a bit, uh, we we did get to play. But yeah, the guy, <laughs> the guys in school though, the guys in school, we we would definitely you know have a different different take on it. They were much more. Uh, looking to play more often than not. And then I went to a, an all-boy Jesuit school, so it didn't really matter as far as, you know, what you did. I still played football, and I still had that group of friends, not just in the neighborhood, but at school as well. So I, I kind of had this weird, eclectic variety of groups that I would kind of join in. Then there was a whole punk rock scene, which is a different story. <laughs> oh, well, let's dig into your roots there, buddy. So, so that's pretty neat. I mean, uh, like I said, I have a friend who notoriously refused to say anything about D and D in the general public, and continue <laughs> to keep that shroud. So, what, what did you like about RPGs? I mean, you obviously liked them that you kept playing them, and, and yeah, had different groups even. Well, I think that it, it probably is a couple of things. I think the first thing is you, you're, you're creating stories and you're being creative in a way that uh, puts you in the seat of like a director or writer for a movie. I mean, you, obviously, every most people are fans of movies and whatnot. So to be able to do that in a way that did not involve uh, too much work and at the same time too much luck, because to get into that kind of industry is obviously a lot of work and a lot of luck. Oh, yeah. This this let you do it, you know, on the fly, and 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 I thought that that was one of the most appealing aspects, the creative, the creative aspect of making a story, and then and then right up there with that, I think probably uh, probably just as just as important is is the camaraderie and the sort of friendships that you develop uh, among the group because you're you're kind of the collaborative story uh, telling uh, exercise is something that that isn't isn't in our culture at all i mean it just if it's if it's not if it's not to go to a movie together and experience a movie together or to talk the next day after you know game of thrones episode 17 or whatever there is no collaborative storytelling in our in our culture that 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 at least i recognize i mean you could get together that's why getting together with the family and and talking about oh remember the time that uncle bob did this Everybody likes that because that's that's the extent to which we have it, and 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 right. this is obviously an experience that uh, is important enough for the for the for the gaming community to prosper and to do well, and I and I think that that's 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 a major aspect of it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's that's you're you're right. I I totally agree with everything you say. I've I've never even thought about that as far as uh, having the time to talk to each other and collaborate storytelling, except for like. I have a large family. I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, my parents were both Mexican. Uh, I have, uh, uh, there was nine of us. And so anytime we got together, it sure. was like, oh, this big deal. And it, I'm just talking immediate family. We don't even need cousins. Right, right. You bring those people, then we have to have like a major hall to yeah. you know, house everybody. It's a, it's a convention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally, yes. So that's pretty cool. So I totally agree with the idea of that we don't have a lot in our culture for uh, 
collaborative storytelling. So you obviously like you like a, a lot of RPGs, and uh, do you fancy yourself as a as a player or 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 more of a GM? Um, I think historically I've been a GM. I think more likely than not, probably yeah. three three times as long as I've been a player. Uh, in the early days, I was a player. We had one guy in high school that was a pretty consistent GM. He was very good. And, and so during the early days, I was a lot more often than not, I was a player. But then as the years went by and my circle of friends kind of changed and adjusted themselves to what they become as a, as an adult, then I kind of went back into the RPG world and I, and I kind of went in as a GM. And then as a, as a teacher, I run an RPG club at school and I'm almost invariably the GM. However, this year I had this one kid, oh, he took over and I was like, great, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I don't have to, you know, because sometimes, you know, obviously there's pros and cons to both roles. And, right. and I think that, you know, the GMs, you've got the great, you know, the great creativity going on. You've got the story that you can wow them with and, and you've got the back scenes, you know, the back, the, the behind the scenes uh, sort of thing going on. And that's, that's always fun, uh, but as a player, you kind of get to let loose a little bit more and not have to worry about being so on the whole time and being a performance. Right. So there's pros and cons to both, and, and there's times when I, when I'm ready to GM and and it, and it's fire, it's great. And then there's other times that I have to kind of drag myself to the table and you know, oh God, I got to put on a show for these guys because especially if you're good once, if you're good once, then all of a sudden that's the expectation. And then you have to kind of be good all the time. That's that's a lot of pressure, man. <laughs> yeah, well, that's just, a lot of pressure. Just always be a crappy GM. <laughs> yeah, it's always just be just be just just good enough to keep them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a little bit better each time, maybe. Yeah, this guy's getting good finally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you you run a club at school. That's cool. Yes. Yeah, we do an after school club. We run for two hours. Uh, and, uh, every Monday or so it's been that way for geez, 25 years. Wow. So, yeah. It, it, the, the pandemic put a, put a crimp on it in that we oh, couldn't yeah. do it in person, but we just did it via zoom. And, uh, in a weird way, it was kind of interesting. Cause I just kind of got to go home. <laughs> I got to go home after school. I got a normal hour. Right. And and just set up my Zoom here in my game room and, and 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 boom, I was able to play. And then the fact that this kid for the most of the year took over as a GM, I just I just opened up the room, gave him hosting abilities and and we're good to go. It was yeah. fantastic. So Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. I, I mean that that's pretty neat. Uh so you teach at a at a is it a public school or it's a private school, it's a prep school, you know, it's one of these college prep schools for generally well to do families, although there's scholarships and whatnot. So we have a good variety of kids, but But it's both g- girls and boys, right? Yes, yes. It's okay. co ed. It's uh it's actually a sixth through twelfth grade. So we get all kinds of grades uh of age levels. Um and then weirdly, it's a small school, but for whatever reason, and I think it's got to do with like some sort of conversations between folks and embassies and, 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 and consulates and whatnot, the school attracts an enormous number of international kids. Uh, so we have from Africa, from Asia, from Europe, all over the world, South America, of course, uh, and it's yet it's a small school. So it's a really eclectic uh, uh, student body that we've got. Yeah. We kind of got the same thing here, but just because the Bay Area is just like crazy, you know, mixed 
all, it's international here in San Jose. It's like, especially the area where we're at, it's like you have uh, Indian people, you have Chinese people, you have sure. Japanese. I mean, every, it's, the, it's, it's like, literally yeah. we joke about it. It's the UN. The UN, I, yep. Yeah, we, we, I used to uh, go pick up my son from grammar school and and just wait outside. I'd, I'd get there really early since I didn't want to be one of those parents that's driving 90 miles an hour trying to find a parking spot. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and so I'd get there, you know, and I, I was off in the, you know, in the early afternoon. So I'd get off, I'd get off at work at 1130 in the morning. So by two o'clock, I could go pick up my son. And so I get there a half an hour and I'd be outside and I would hear like all these languages that I didn't know what they were. There was just like Polish and Russian. And I'm like, sure. And so, so me and my wife, Jolene, we were always joking about how international the, the classes were. So for me, though, that, that was pretty cool because when I grew up, it was pretty, I grew up in a, in a more uh, working class neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So there was Filipinos and Mexicans and, and white people, but that was about it. And so it wasn't until when I went to the high school that it kind of got a little bit more of a mix of people, but, but it wasn't, you know, I grew up in a small town in, in here in California called Salinas, which was an agricultural town. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't that much of a mix. There was Mexicans, there was Filipinos and white people and, that was it. Right, right. Just the and, and of course, there'd be somebody from some other country that we didn't didn't know where they were from. But but it's a huge difference from that to here when a, when my son's growing up and he has all kinds of different friends. And 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 just having that exposure to different cultures is probably pretty cool. And, and it's better than not having that exposure, I, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. When I grew up, it was it was, I guess, somewhat similar to your experience, except in, in a big city, because. Miami in the in the in the seventies and eighties, uh, especially the eighties, it was it was a giant uh, influx of Cuban Americans or Cubans, and then you know of course the next generation like myself would be Cuban Americans. And my my schools that the schools that my my parents put me in were generally very very dominated by the Cuban community. Oh yeah, and and so all of my all of my well I wouldn't say all but a good eighty percent of my friends were all similar ethnicities in terms of being Cuban Americans. And uh, you had a handful of, of friends that weren't, but uh, that went on all the way to high school. Uh, you kind of had to leave Miami to get the real influx. Cause <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, you really did. Cause I mean, Miami, what happens with this city is that you, you have a big city and you have a lot of different ethnicities, but everyone sticks to their own little enclave and there's yeah. neighborhoods in Miami where if you just stay in that one neighborhood, you're just exposed Oh, to oh, you're in Doral. Well, you're going to be with the Venezuelans. You're in, you know, Coral Gables. Well, you're probably going to be with either Cubans or, or Americans. If you're in this part, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, so yeah, I, I went to college at the uh, University of Florida, and it's a tiny town. It's Gainesville, tiny town, and it's a lot of different types of people. That's where my exposure was. <laughs> I go to a little town to get exposed to many cultures. How about that? That's funny. So you're playing RPGs and you're GMing now that you're going back to high school. And we're fast forwarding a little bit. I think every every gamer that plays RPGs is a tinker, right? They, they house rule this, they house rule that. And they might even come up with some their own game. Their fellow players or friends will play. But you're, you know, you're... You're going to write a RPG and you're going to publish it for the general consumption of the populace. What drove you to do that? I think that I've 
always kind of had the idea in the back of my head that I, I wanted to write or be published in one form or another, whether it's fiction or in some sort of novelization of an idea or, or, or in the gaming community. And, you know, life, you know, happens. And so you, you, get, you know, you get married, you have kids, you, you get your day job and whatnot, and that kind of becomes a little more difficult <laughs> to, to achieve. Right. Uh, particularly when a lot of it has to do with talent and luck combined. If it was just talent, then, you know, we'd have so many masterpieces out there. But uh, the fact is, is that you got to be lucky and you got to know the right people and that sort of thing. And so what ended up happening was, is that the avenue by which it seemed to me to, to make the most sense was to get published in the gaming community because of my interests in gaming, as well as creative writing and whatnot. So I thought that the marriage of those two would at one point or another come to fruition. And I was lucky enough to, I guess the very first thing that I think got published was just strictly online. It was not any hard copy of anything. It was a competition. Uh, if I recall correctly, it was a company that's called Hydra Miniatures. I'm also into miniatures wargaming. Okay. And, and Hydra Miniatures uh, produced uh, a, a game called War Rockets, and I got into it with a friend of mine, and we got all the factions. They had four factions. It was exciting. And then they opened up a fifth faction, and they, they said, we're going to have a competition for painting your miniatures and coming up with the fluff for the faction, so a kind of creative writing competition. So I, I painted up my models and I and I came up with uh, the Nebulion Corsairs, <laughs> and they were like these lion guys that looked like Predator, but they were lions. So I, I did a whole story on it and I won, and and it wasn't a paying gig because they they quote unquote paid me with miniatures, which is fine for me. <laughs> and I said, hey, you know what? Somebody liked what I wrote, so let me try this again. And I went to Gen Con. And I, and I started talking up a bunch of folks with different companies, and I had some ideas to pitch here and there uh, regarding, uh, for example, at one point, uh, the Ubiquity RPG line. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Hollow Earth yeah. and, uh, Expeditions. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that game, but I, I think that Ubiquity does, uh, uh, what is it, the, the like, oh, my God. I'm, I'm uh, you're talking about uh, Three uh, Musketeers kind of game, All for One? Yeah, yeah, All for One. And Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Yes. So what 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 happens is, is that the that line uh, from a, a German company that right now the name escapes me, but the that those guys decided to jump on the ubiquity line of rules, which was originally Hollow Earth Expeditions. Right. And Hollow Earth is uh, is this guy Jeff that basically was always at Gen Con, and I kind of befriended him and 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 you know jumped in on the idea of writing stuff for uh, Exile Studios. And, and he let me go ahead and do uh, a totally non-paying job. I just said, you know what? I just want to get, I just want to get the experience. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. get like a repertoire that I could show people. And uh, you know how they have the free RPG scenarios yeah. that they hand yeah. out, right? So I did one for, for Hollow Earth and the Exile community and, and, and it was well received and I thought it was pretty cool, you know? So I showed that around a bunch of folks the following year and and I got one or two bites, and then and that jumped into the next couple of things, which I was able to produce. For example, uh, a little supplement for the Rocket Age RPG. Yeah, uh, yeah. Cubicle Seven did. Right. Uh, and then I also was able to write a chapter in the Erebor book for the One Ring. 
Wow. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. I wrote a chapter. That, that one was really interesting because that one they told me, listen, what we would like you to do if, you, if you're interested is we want you to write a chapter for the Erebor book detailing the war between the uh, dwarves and the orcs. And I said, okay, I'm, uh, I'm in. Uh, whatever that takes, that's fine. I'll describe a war between the orcs and the goblins. No problem. I'll go back to Tolkien and look at my old Tolkien copy and see what I can extrapolate from, from Tolkien himself. And I look and it's like a paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if I'm going, holy crap, I got to turn a paragraph into a whole war that's going to last a chapter. And, <laughs> and, and, and I didn't even know what to do. I was like, How, what are the technologies? What can orcs do in a war? Do they have catapults? Do they fight in the, inside the mountains? How do you fight in the mountains? Uh, it was pretty wild. And, and, and I did some research and I actually, I actually, again, Gen Con is a big resource. I ran into some guy running an entire Lord of the Rings uh, war game that was encompassing what would basically be like 12 cafeteria tables square. And it was this giant thing. It was a huge landscape. And I'm like, this guy knows his stuff. And I start talking to him and he gives me his email and he says he'd be happy to help. And we talked it out for a few uh for a few phone conversations and, and, and he basically gave me his insight into what at least he thought right. or, orcs were capable and dwarves were capable of doing. And, and so I, I wrote it and it's in the book. So it's pretty cool. Damn. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. I yeah. love that game, by the way. That's oh, the wondering is awesome. They're rebooting yeah. it now. So I'm excited. I know. I know. I know. I know. I'm all over that one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He yep. plays that one all the time. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, that's pretty cool. So, so you're not. This is not like, you know, you're, this is not the very first thing you've done. No, 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 no. If this was the first thing I'd done, I'd be really overwhelmed because this thing is the, <laughs> this thing is pretty big. Yeah, yeah. I would be like, what? Why did they pick me? Wow. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, I did those other things and uh, and and oh, and cool thing. Last thing about the Erebor thing, which I thought was funny. So I open the book, I get excited, I, I get the P first I saw the PDF, obviously. So I right. go and scroll down the PDF and I see the uh the the credits, you know. I'm gonna get my name in there. Let's see the credits. And my credit the credits has it, the names in alphabetical order, and I'm never first in alphabetical order, but I was this time. So it says really? written by Gabriel Garcia and then a plethora of other writers. I'm like, wow, look at that. And I wasn't even it's just the G. <laughs> oh yeah definitely yeah i'm, I'm never first in, in no matter what <laughs> pretty cool so so that that's a pretty good gig i mean uh cubicle seven and this, the one ring that that's and that's really important you know th you would think that it's not like some fly-by-night company this is a, a big publisher yeah. and it's a it's a what is it it's a, I, I hate to say it but it's like a revered part of uh gaming history right the, sure being able to do token even though there's been a a few Tolkien books, yeah, uh, or systems, but uh, still, I think that uh, that's pretty neat. That's really neat. Yeah, no, and they're licensed, as far as I know, uh, as far as the Tolkien estate is concerned. I believe that, and I don't, I don't, I'm not a big, you know, knowledgeable guy about Tolkien and whatnot, but I, I don't know if by the fact that they're licensed, that 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 means that their their material is quote unquote canon, but. In my mind, I like to think that it is, and I added to the canon. <laughs> oh, okay. no, that's pretty important. That's pretty neat. <laughs> Done quite a few projects, which I'm I'm happy that you did. I, I didn't know that, and uh, you 
decide to do something on your own, uh, I mean, uh, completely instead of working for other people or working or building off of another people's uh, game system, you decide to write your own RPG, right? Y- yes, yes, and, yes, and no. I'll tell you. Exactly. I'll tell you the, the the background for war stories because it's 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 not quite my own per se. Oh, okay. So what happens is is that I'm good friends with. Um, the folks over at Firelock Games. So Firelock Games, which which perhaps your podcast oftentimes, you know, RPG and maybe they don't, you know, they're no dabble in the miniatures gaming world, but Firelock Games is a company that basically produced uh, the renowned and, and 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 really really happily accepted game that uh, that has blown everyone off the the market there for pirates called Blood and Plunder. Uh, so Blood and Plunder is is their child. They've since extrap, you know, gone further and 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 done Oak and Iron, which is a another miniatures game, which is just uh, ships uh, that are much smaller in scale, and you're not using miniature pirates per se, but you're more of the naval combat. Uh, right. They've gone and done a World War One iteration of of Blood and Plunder, and they call that Blood and Valor. And so the company has been around for a few years now, and they're and they've been very successful in in promoting what they feel is the most historically accurate miniatures games along the settings that they've chosen to kind of focus on, which again is Pirates and World War One, And that's become very, very uh, acclaimed in the industry as far as miniatures games is, are concerned. So I'm good friends with them. I, I've known the guy who's the chief there, the CEO. I've known him, geez, since, since the mid-80s. And I even taught his, his boys uh, so, so we go back, you know, what's his, what's his name? I don't know his name. Al- Alex Aguila, Alex Aguila. Alex Aguila. Yeah. And yeah, he, yeah. you knew him in, in the eighties. So he was, you guys were kids together more or less. Uh, more or less. Uh, he, he's probably, uh, I don't know, a couple of years older than me, but we didn't, we knew each other again from the gaming world. And I, I say the eighties and it's probably more like 88, 89. It's probably the end of the eighties. You didn't play games? No, no. Well, well, to tell you the truth, the way we met is interesting because we went to a, well, I went to a gaming convention. I'm walking around and these guys, these two guys have this giant Space Hulk game set up and I've never <laughs> seen Space Hulk. And I'm like, what is this? And they said, Hey, you want to join us? And so I said, sure. They seemed pretty amicable enough. And, and I joined them and I played Space Hulk. So it was my first miniatures game exposure. And it was because of this guy, Alex and his friend Hector. And, <laughs> and, and, and then, and then, you know what? That was it. Again, another group of people that introduced me to something and disappear <laughs> off the planet. They disappeared for like a decade. For a decade, I never saw these guys. In fact, I didn't even remember their names. Yeah, and then we go to a. I go to a game store down here in Miami, which are rare and, and far in between. And 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 so everybody that games goes to these handful of game stores that existed. And and I ran into them and I said, "Were you guys at a gaming convention ten years ago?" They're like, yeah, were you there? Yeah, you're that guy who. And so we kind of reconnected after a decade. That's funny. And coincidentally, he sends his kids to my school. And then he didn't even know I was a teacher there. So we kind of were were acquaintances, really, until the last, I would say, the last uh, maybe eight eight to ten years is when we've become really uh, good friends and to where you know he'll invite me over his house and whatnot and, oh, okay and you know we'll hang out and stuff so 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 he's running firelock and he says to me one day there's never been an rpg for world war ii 
I said, well, wait a minute. Of course, there's been an RPG for World War II. There's dust. There's there's uh, dust. Ta- you know, dust tactics made their version of a of right. RPG for World War II. There's all kinds of Cthulhu-inspired RPGs for World War II. He said, stop right there. He said, there's no realistic RPG. There's no historical. I go, well, I mean, look, and yeah, there's a few small ones. There's a few, you know, independent ones that people kind of run. There's some old, you know, uh, uh, D20-based systems that that are, or there's even a GURPS one as well. But in recent memory, there really hasn't been anything big. And it was his inspiration to do that. And he said, do you want to write it? Uh, you know, I've seen everything you've written. Obviously, you know, I write stuff for, for my own game group and whatnot. So he basically offered it to me. That's how it wow. happened. Yeah. So I, I jumped on that. I said, absolutely. Let's see. A history teacher. I game. I write. You're perfect. seems like it's the right mix of, uh, of, of skills or whatnot. Hopefully I can mesh it and put it all together. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty neat. That's how, that's how well, it happened. Like it was inspiration. You like Cinderella with these, 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 these meeting these, people, these shoes that V left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of just fell there, <laughs> fell on my lap. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been pushing uh, uh, several other gaming ideas uh, of my own for Firelock because I mean, you have a you have a game company in your own backyard that you're friends with. Why not? Yeah. So those things are still somewhat in the back burner, so to speak. Uh, right, right. They, they, they've definitely been open to, to being worked out, in particular miniatures games as well. But, but the RPG line, uh, War Stories, is part of that inspiration on his part. So are there going to be miniatures to go with it? There will not be a line of miniatures from Firelock uh, oh. specifically. The fact is, is that obviously the market is uh, inundated with World War II stuff, particularly if you just look at bolt action, right? So will the game be miniatures friendly? Yes, it will be in that you can play either theater of the mind or you can play with miniatures. And I think that because of the very enormous possibility that in practically every session you're going to have some sort of firefight it would make sense to probably have you know miniatures uh i know that when we play test you know i break them all out why not because i mean i've got <laughs> i've got boatloads of them so it, it makes sense yeah. yeah well i i have boatloads but they're terribly painted so i don't like I've been gaming since 1970-78, and I just never acquired a talent or a skill to paint. Yeah. I just, you know, throw some paint out of my, okay, that's good enough. Good enough. Good and enough. Nobody cares. They love just any miniature out there. So. <laughs> sure. Hey, listen, uh, there was a game store that would say, you can play at our store, and in these tournaments that we have, you have to have paint, but here's the requirement. Three shades. Any three shades. <laughs> and that's all we need. Three different colors is the requirement for you. And that was easy. It motivated a lot of people to think, you know, oh, what? I just need three shades. No problem. And they got started. Yeah. Certain miniature games, you know, they, they really kind of like look down on people who don't have like fully yeah. detailed figures and stuff like that. So Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. This so is you're right. That would make sense because as a as a store owner or somebody who has a store, you would want to sell as many miniatures as you can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's nothing cooler than seeing the stuff all painted out, and you know a lot of a lot of novices will walk into the store and say, you know, whoa, look at this, this is phenomenal, and some right. of them might be intimidated, but yes. you know, it's it's for it's like everything else. Everybody has their own tastes. 
so now we know why the genre you picked was World War II. You're using, uh, what is it, the Year Zero engine, I think it's called? Yes, the Year Zero engine is uh, is presently the flavor of the month. And I and I don't want to say flavor of the, of the month in a way right. that it'll uh, imply that it'll be gone soon. But I, I definitely feel like RPGs, at least for me, and it's not necessarily true for everybody, but for me, RPG game mechanics are things that I fall in love with, I really enjoy, and I really make an enormous amount of use out of. And then I find another one that I kind of like uh, maybe a little bit more. Or I'm intrigued to see how it works with that setting or whatnot. And, and, and so at different periods in my life, you could say, well, which is your favorite RPG system? And I would have to say it varies from, from, from different points in time. I mean, I would have obviously said back in the 80s it was Dungeons and Dragons. You know, but then so at one point, ah, geez, I don't even know when it was, I, I got into like master books the West End people, because of course they did Indiana Jones. So I had to get into that. And yeah. so, so it was okay. I mean, it wasn't D&D, but it was, at least it was Indiana Jones. So, so I, I got into that and, and I, it did different ones. Yeah. As, as West End games, they did Star Wars, right? Yeah, they did Star Wars as well. And I was just, I like Star Wars. I, I love Star Wars, but Indiana Jones just has a special place in my heart. <laughs> of course. So, so Indiana Jones is not too many uh, RPGs that are specifically, you know, got the license to to, to put Harrison Ford on the cover, uh, and West End uh, did. So I, I jumped into that Master Books, and 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 it was it was interesting. It had a card set, like a deck of cards, and 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 it was a little twist on how the whole RPG gaming works, and and mm-hmm. and and. and parts of the story that could be that could be adjusted based on the cards that you drew so i thought that was innovative and then i got into ubiquity and then from ubiquity i I did savage worlds and from savage worlds i did a bunch of different ones and 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 then this year zero engine really took off for our group i'd like to think mostly on 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 my part because I, i'm the one who bought all the books and everything uh, <laughs> shoved it down their throat that's the way it happens though yeah that's how it happens you know you that's get one guy yeah. It's, yeah it is it is and 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 the one that really uh took off for alex who of course is the mastermind behind all of this is the alien franchise the aliens uh rpg uh by year yeah. zero for the year zero engine uh, Free League guys are doing a great, great, great job. Every practically, not pra- every single book that they've produced, I've I've bought them, and I and I've loved every single one of them, and they're all so good. Uh, the illustrations, the writing, the 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 simplicity of the rule set, we were really happy with. And then when I introduced these guys to Aliens, I ran a really, really awesome Alien session. I, I think it was probably the highlight of my GMing career. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the problem because I don't think I can ever match that day or that that series of games. And it hooked Alex into the Year Zero engine so much that during the pandemic, he ended up writing again for a competition produced by the Year Zero folks in Free League, and he won the competition, beating me out. By the way, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he beat me out. Of course, he has a hell of a lot more time than I do. Uh, he's, he's, I think semi-retired. I don't know what he would say if you were to ask him what he does for a living, but, but he has a heck of a lot more time and he put, 
listen to this. Okay, so this is a good little mini story about Alex, okay? And he's probably listening to this, and he's saying, oh, my God, what is he going to say? <laughs> <laughs> he's so, a boxing man, not a race man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he says, uh, he, he says, hey, Gabe, look, they're going to do this competition. You should join. You know, you're a great writer. And I said, all right, so I'm going to join. So this competition has this thing where it's a one-shot RPG based in the aliens uh, world, and you get 1,500 words for the maximum word count for your adventure, okay? Right. 1,500 words. I go, okay, you know, I can knock that out because it's 1,500 words. I mean, it's, it, it'll take me, you know, less time than a real blown-out adventure. So, okay, I'll join. I'll do it. So I write it out, and it comes out to, like, 1,498 words, and and I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm You know, it was something I just knocked out because – and I'm a school teacher, so I can't really devote an enormous amount of time to it. Meanwhile, Alex, <laughs> Alex is is putting together this crazy amount of stuff, and I'm like, dude, he's showing me pictures, and he's got illustrations, and he's even got a, he's even, you know, I got a this face app thing where you get to be old, you know, like they they do this old. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So I got I put a picture of myself old, and he's like, dude, you're one of my characters in my story. <laughs> So he puts me as a cat and, and he's got all this resources and the maps and everything. And I'm like, dude, you're putting a lot of time into this. This must be an awesome story. He's like, you don't understand. It's gotten to be like 5,000 words. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. The thing said 1,500 words. And he says, look, my adventure is 1,500 words, but my character backgrounds come up to 5,000. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're a cheating bastard. Cheating. What are you doing? What are you doing? He's like, they, they might they might, they might, might not accept it. I don't know. I might be doing this for nothing. They might not accept it because it's, it's, kind it's kind of going over the 1,500. They absolutely loved it, of man. Of course. He won, and, and then they wanted four. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he completely he completely went around the rules, but that's what he does. That's what he does. So did, he, did he at least throw you a bone? And say, yeah, Gabriel, uh, help me a little bit. I think I think War Stories is my bone, but no, but, but, but hey, you know what? My picture's in his adventure. There you uh, go. That's, so that's cool. good. And then they had uh, these podcasts and and ga live gaming sessions where uh, they played his adventure. And like initially, he's like, "Hey, I, I nominated you to run it because you're so amazing." I'm like, "No, dude, stop, stop! <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not just. I'm not like a live kind of guy. I don't know. I'm, I'm. I don't know. I'm a little shy." So, so what's so, the name of his adventure? It was great. It was, it was, what was it called? It was, uh, he's got oh, a couple to be honest. Uh, it, Cause then he ended up having such a demand that he wrote a second one. Wow. And, and it was also well received. And now he's in the midst of writing a third one. I said, stop there. You got to start writing war stories <laughs> adventures now, man. So come on. This was your, this one is your baby here. This is the world war II one. So. He's writing the stuff for aliens. That's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but that's what got us into the year zero engine because because initially he had told me this before the idea of what engine we were going to use. And I I actually had come up with uh, the the bones anyway of my own system right. in, in in like November December of last year. And then in the you know I wrote quite a bit. And then he tells me, listen, we're going to go over to year zero. I'm like, ah, okay, all right, all right, no problem. In the end, I think that it saves a lot more time because obviously the year zero engine is well-established. It's a marketing boon in that you're already going to have a built-in audience right. for this kind of for this system. 
So, so I think it was a smart thing to do, despite you know my extra hours of work on November and December. That's okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I actually do like that system. So, um, Alien has the I call it the panic mechanic because you. Yeah. And so, is is the World War Two one gonna the war stories gonna have a a mechanic like that with extra pool of dice and stuff? Yeah, it, it won't be the same in terms of the extra pool of dice. What we did do, however, is we definitely incorporated the stress uh, of war and, and battlefield stress. And it's going to have kind of like what Coriolis does, which is mental hit points. Mm-hmm. And when you uh, either take three points of mental hit points at one go, or if your mental hit points are diminished to zero, then you do roll on a chart similar to the panic chart in uh aliens so it's kind of a mixture of coriolis and aliens in that regard right cool Cool. yeah my shows uh testify that i too am a fanboy of uh, free league (laughs) (laughs) yeah no they're great they're great they're great the only one i haven't gotten into is the 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 hard metal rock uh sort of yeah (laughs) i i I don't know i haven't really i haven't really had i don't think there's an audience in my game group for it per se i've i've heard people talk about it because i listen to their uh there's a podcast called the effect podcast i'm yeah have you been on that i have not yet been on it but they've also invited me and in fact dave seamark who's uh, one of the regulars there at the, the effect podcast uh, he is our consultant for all things free. Oh, well, yeah. He's a good guy. He's really nice. Yeah. And he's uh, great. I talked to him. They're working on their uh, World War, not World War, their Wild West game. Wild. Yes. I can't even, yeah. Their Western game. Wild West. And, yes. uh, and uh, they were talking about it. On, and so I just sent them an email saying, oh, yeah, you know, you should, because I got a, a handle their playtest thing, their module whatever you call it their pdf mm-hmm. and i said you know you don't mention a lot anything about mexicans except for like you know you mentioned th- th- them in this sense and i go you kind of forgot something about something that like about their culture and i'm like i had to do with curanderos or curanderas right i'm maybe right. cubans have something similar i'm not sure but uh but it's definitely a big part of mexican culture and it definitely would have been a part of the west because the mexicans were you know texas belonged to to Mexico for a long period of time. And, sure. and in fact, uh, I, I sent them some, uh, some links to some books that I had read historical books, actually, <laughs> of all things. Oh, and, and, uh, and it talked about how, uh, th- there was this one quote that, that, that they really liked was that, uh, when the, when the people from the East came from, you know, from Boston and all these other places exploring the West, they came to a West that already had, uh, cowboys or vaqueros, which are Mexican cowboys, who already mm-hmm. wore chaps and who knew about the high sh- the high chap around uh, and the bushes and stuff, and how you needed to have these leather chaps to protect your legs and stuff like that, and sure. how they were the ones who taught uh, the white settlers how to be be cowboys and how to deal with the land and how to do stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the original cowboys. They're pretty grateful. And they they asked me to uh, uh, to give them more information about the. About natural healers and stuff, and I just told them some things that that I had that I knew, and I thought it was pretty neat. And they're, no, they're really nice guys. Those two guys, uh, yeah, and yeah. Dave, right, Matthew and Dave. Yeah, yeah, I have not met uh, I have not met Matthew, but uh, Dave and I have been on a few uh, conference calls and and uh, had a few quite a few conversations. And he's writing up all kinds of stuff um, on, along the margins of my rule set. And, cool. and, and, uh, and he's actually taking the, the lead on some of the campaign aspects of the, of the game. Cause he, 
he likes the idea of a, of a sort of hex-based campaign crawl where oh, you yeah. kind of assigned a particular, you know, mission and you're kind of moving along the Western front there on the, you know, Belgium and <laughs> Netherlands. And so, yeah, it, you know, he's definitely a major component in the, uh, in the team. Cool. Cool. So you, you're not going to kickstart it. Uh, I, I suppose. Uh, I think I read somewhere you're doing a pre-order instead. Yes. Yes. We're doing a pre-order. I think these guys at Firelock uh, have had a, a bit of experience with kick with Kickstarter and it's generally been a positive one, but the one aspect that I hear from them, and again, this is me kind of from the outside. I'm right. not really in Firelock, but from what I hear, it's a lot of work. Right. It's a lot of work, and it kind of it kind of uh, slows the production of all the other aspects of the company. And so consequently, I, I think he just wants to kind of go to the straight pre-order, particularly since it's going to be in initially just a one-book offering for the moment. It's not where, you know, you'd have a Kickstarter and you'd say, well, you know, let's make the miniatures and let's make this extra book and let's make the next theater of war and let's ultimately make five books, you know. So uh, I think that it'll be a pre-order. It will have, uh, as I understand it, uh, it, it uh, at least verbally it's been told to me, it will have uh, a GM screen, it will have uh, dice, and it will have cards. Wow. Because uh, the initiative cards, of course, are in de- uh, you know part of the whole uh, uh, Year Zero engine. So, so it'll have those three extra components. I'm not sure how much more it will have. Cool. So, so we'll see. Yeah. We'll, see. well yeah, I, I know Free League also likes uh, doing the pre-orders because I don't think they kickstarted Alien, and I don't think they kickstarted some other games that I own of theirs. Uh, right. So it, it does work. I think. Uh, I think Kickstarter, you know, you're right. I think people who do it, they have a lot of nerves and or nerves of steel too, because it's yeah. very nerve wracking. The yeah. whole idea of funding and then and then you have to have stretch goals and and then sure. there's all kinds of headaches. So I think you're, I think that's a probably less headache way of doing it. Yeah, and uh, I think that's pretty cool. And then, like you said, it's it's not like your it's Firelock is known already known for, to quite a few people, but this is their first RPG, right? Is that right? Yes, this will be their first RPG, and although this might be perhaps a surprise to you, I'm not sure if you've if you've dug around a little bit, but uh, this is uh, being effectively simultaneously announced with their uh, another RPG that they are indeed putting together. They are putting, and they have actually been talking about that for quite some time, a uh, pirate-based RPG. Oh, that's, that's the one called Under a Black Sail? Under the Black Sail, yeah. correct. And so Under the Black Sail has been in the development process for longer than War Stories. And in fact, uh, Tim, Tim has been working on that. Tim Korolewski has been working on that for probably almost two years, wow. if not more or less. I don't know. I, he'd, he'd be the one to, to talk to about that. But he's been developing that for quite some time. And then Alex you know, said, we're going to go in the direction of year zero. And and I would imagine he had to make some adjustments, probably more so than me. Oh, that game's since awesome. he's been working on it for longer. Yeah. Wow. So 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 that one is going <laughs> to be offered also as a pre-order. And and effectively, Alex said, whenever the writers, i.e., myself and Tim, <laughs> uh, feel, feel that they're ready to go as far as their book being, you know, basically 95 percent complete. Uh, then we'll go ahead and announce the pre-order. And I said, you're going to do both of them? He's like, I'm going to do whichever one gets done first. <laughs> so, Just a little pressure. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, ultimately, I want to, I'll be honest, I want to produce something very good right. that is not necessarily rushed. Right. So I, I'm not, I'm not in any, I'm personally not in any kind of hurry. And, and, and to be honest, I've been working on it since November. And so half a year in my, in my view is not enough. You really need to kind of play test for a bit longer and to, to feel like you have a, a legit, really good working uh, command of the rules and all the ins and outs of right. what an RPG can, can, can experience. That said, year zero, again, already established. Right. Whatever tweaks we're making is what we're really testing are the tweaks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, at that point, you know, you can go forward and, and, and move on with it. Right. Yeah, it's a really neat system. I do. I do agree with you because uh, I think uh, I got a wild hair in, one time, and and I, we, me and Jolene, were watching the what is it, the Carnival Row, which was a, a show on the. Oh yeah, yeah. And I go, I want to run a game like that. So they have. They came out with like Cipher System version of it, and it was free and download. And I'm like, oh yeah, but I don't really. I I just can't get into the Cipher System. I love the Numenero background and stuff like that, which which yeah. is that that game is based on. My group doesn't really get into it, so I'm like, I'm gonna run it. I'm gonna change everything to you know, New Year's Zero. So this is before they came out with. I think they come out with the SRD sort of thing. Yes. And I, I that was before that. This was a while ago. And so I just wrote mm -hmm. a 13 page rule book, and I'm and I, and I Googled sheet it to everybody, even though I had problems with Google sheeting that too. Just like the questions <laughs> I had for you. And so they all looked at it, and they, they made characters, and we played the game, which was funny because I was gonna run that at a convention here before the pandemic hit. And so I go, I want to run it uh, with uh, you guys uh, online because I want to play test it. And it was supposed to be a, a, a like a six hour game in person. It took us a lot longer. It took them three sessions, oh, four hours. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, all right. Well, I play tested it because I needed to work out all the stuff. <laughs> but on. then the pandemic. Well, there you go. But then the pandemic hit, and then the, you know the game went. You know there was no game, no game convention. So like, right. right, but it was funny. But you're right. I mean, I think that New Year Zero engine is pretty easy. It can be really Year light. Zero. A Year Zero. I always call it something else. Pretty neat. I think you had, do have a built-in uh, group of people who are willing to play that game. And World War Two. You know, there's so many. There's so many war buffs about World War II and stuff like that. I think, you know, you have within the RPG community that you're going to have plenty of people who want to order that book. You know, I think that, that, that that's part of the challenge of the war buffs, right? Because, I mean, that has to be, that's got to be the elephant in the room, right? Yeah. So the, 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 the reality is, is that uh, there's got to be a very fine line. And it's very, you know, interesting to try to tread that fine line between historical accuracy and and having a game that is playable yeah. while simultaneously nodding toward the elements of history that the war buffs are going to be looking out for. Right. So you don't want to make advanced squad leader, you know, because that's not going to be a fun RPG, <laughs> but you don't want to necessarily leave it to where the the vehicles a uh, conversation that we were having in the in the in the Facebook group was well do do the tanks will, will they have different armor on different sides and there's a simple way to do that I think and 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 maintain the playability of a of a role playing game while at least acknowledging that there's a little bit of complexity to a very well researched historical circumstances and events and and so that's the plan the plan is in all ways to to maintain playability while at least offering a, even if it's a superficial nod toward history, 
so that the history buffs can at least say, well, at least they try, <laughs> you know, you're not going to, you're not going to please everyone, particularly yeah, the real, real guy, the guy, I mean, there were some guys that, that, that were talking about the different uh, variations of the, st- the British Sten gun. And, and, and <laughs> while I appreciate that there were six or seven of them, I don't know that I can necessarily put seven different versions of the submachine gun into the game because their variations were so minute in terms of what you can translate to a game mechanic that it really doesn't make much of a difference. It's just kind of so uh, cosmetic in a way. So so we'll, we'll, we'll try. And in fact, I responded to that gentleman uh, by saying, well, you know what? I researched it after you after you posted the question and turns out that there was a Sten gun that was suppressed so that the commandos could go in and, and kind of, you know, surreptitiously accomplish a, a mission without as much noise. And, and, and so, you know what, that's different enough. We'll probably have that version as well. So that, that RPG wise, it makes sense. Right. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You, you can get into the weeds as they say with, with stuff like that. And literally, you just can't you can't make everybody happy. And and I, and I was going to ask you that question of how do you, where do you draw the line? And I think you pretty answered it well. You you want something that's re, that is not we're not I don't even know if we're talking about realism, but we're talking about acknowledging that there were differences in different things, and that that we are playing the game, and it's we're not going to dress up and go, not even cosplay, but do reenactments of World War. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, so there's you know there's a fine line between a game and a simulation, and you you know you you want a game to acknowledge the realities of things at times, but not all the times. Right. And otherwise, you know, you end up having a simulation, and for that, you know, you play a different kind of game. You know, that you'll have computer simulations, I guess that that might be better able to 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 satisfy that itch. But uh, but this is a storytelling, narrative-driven game right. that ultimately is going to be made into every individual gaming group's desires and into catering to their their wants. And and the system is simple enough that it could do that. And, you know, another thing that I'm toying with is, and it, it, I haven't finalized it yet, but there, there very, very well may, could, may be uh, parts of the rules that will say optional. You know, this yeah. is an optional rule. And so right. you want to include it, you include it. You, you think it's a little bit too much, then then you don't include it. So, yeah. so that's that's another way of kind of approaching it. Oh, yeah, that definitely does work. I, I forget what game. There's multiple games that I've had in my library that have that kind of. This is if you want a little bit more realism, you include hydrostatic shock and blood right. and all this stuff. Usually stuff I ignore because I'm like, I'm not that into uh, that much into realism. So, right. <laughs> Right, 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 and, right, and, right. And everything you add is just slows down the gameplay, right? Usually, sure, sure, and, sure, sure. And how much story does it add to the game? I'm not sure. Right, right. One example that I think I'm definitely putting in as an optional, and since you're familiar with the Year Zero engine, it'll it'll be readily recognizable. So you know how the Year Zero engine has a card-based initiative where you draw right. your card, and you know that's the order in which you go during combat and whatnot. Yeah. So. We're gonna have it optional to where those are uh, hidden. So you draw your card, and the DM, the GM doesn't know, the GM doesn't know the players, the players don't know each other's, nobody knows what order it's gonna be. <laughs> it'll it'll be kind of a nod toward the realism of the unpredictability of a battle in World right. War II. And so you don't really know if the Germans are going to go first or if the Americans are going to go first. <laughs> That's it's cool. going to be a mystery. And and at least in my gaming circles, we have done 
uh, and I'm going to put that in there as an option. We have done random draws every round. Oh, yeah. So that you might be first this round, but you might be last next round. And right. that, that, that speaks to the hesitation of war and, and, and the chaos of the battlefield. So That's pretty cool because I think the AD&D was like that. We used to roll, at least we did it. We used to roll every, every yeah, initiative, yeah. every round. And sure. so everybody would have a different initiative. And now it's like, oh, I didn't, you know, you roll once in like fifth edition and you're, you're stuck yeah. with the initiative you know, when you roll a one. You're like, oh. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and you're right. It does slow slow the game down a bit, but you know, you 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 choose which one you want to do. Right. It's going to be right. playable both ways. Yeah, I, I think somebody mentioned the Twilight 2013 to you. Maybe it was a different one. Anyway, but Twilight 13 was a, a war game about post apocalyptic, and they had this, not not the same mechanic about initiative, but they would have this. Uh, hold and pass right so everybody would have a card or something that had said hold and pass mm-hmm. and everybody would would secretly decide what they were going to do and, oh, it, interesting. and if you held that means you would like stay hidden and would wait for everybody else to do something and it was really interesting i never used it because i never really played that game i ran it at, at the con twice uh I, it was really fun but it was just too small of a niche game to, to attract mm-hmm. players but but I had a lot of fun playing that game and running that game. But the, that's, everybody can handle that 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 kind of the nervousness of war, kind yeah. of for me, right? Yeah. As a matter of fact, you mentioned Twilight 2000. I, I'm sure you know that they're they kickstarted and and they're doing the 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 year zero version of Twilight 2000. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was another cool inspiration because uh, you know I played a couple times in the 90s, but obviously once they they jumped into year zero, it's going to be an interesting rule set in that I, I I this this last week I backed them and I actually got the the final PDF and it's an interesting marriage of what was a complex system with the the bare bones of, of a year zero system that's all about simplicity and streamlining. Yeah. And and I think they did a great job. Hats off to them to try to marry something so disparate uh, as the complexity of of one of the more complex RPGs with one of the more simple streamlined RPG set of rules. So hopefully they they uh, for you know for their success, I, I wish them well and 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 hopefully they are able to make as many people happy as possible. I Jolie's giving me a dirty look because because I, <laughs> I kickstarted Another that game too. Kickstarter. So yes. I have to kickstarted these. Di- trust. Let me ask you, uh, Gabriel. This was a while ago, right? This the Kickstarter. Yeah. Just give me that look like you just. Yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. It was a while back. It was a while back. Anyway, so so long ago. It was like 10 years ago. So I just got got the the Kickstarter, uh, the PDF, and it it looks good. I haven't really delved too much into it because I got so many new books coming in, but. uh, It's really neat. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking uh, those fans, those the original fans of Twilight 2000, they're pretty rabid. You know, I, I think yes. they, they they got a lot of flack for for using the Year Zero engine at the beginning. Uh, yes. I remember I, I listened to the Effect podcast, so Dave and and Matthew were were kind of I, I don't know what the term is, but I'm gonna say beside themselves as how mm-hmm. how rabidly the negative response was toward freely deciding to use a Year Zero engine. And I'm like, and and I was on the opposite side because I'm thinking, well, the problem with Twilight 2000 is that it was it was too, you know, complicated. Too yeah, complicated. Because I and I played complicated games. I played Space Hopper from Fantasy Games Unlimited, some uh, game company back in the 80s, and yeah. it was super complicated. It was a lot of charts, a lot of rules. But when you're a fan of something, you just play it. But then 
how many people play space opera there's very little right right so you want to make sure that you, you want something that's going to sell so sure 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 yeah and, and it's going to be an interesting thing because i mean i did obviously as they're producing their alpha rules and their beta rules right. i was obviously given those as well and and that played a factor uh in cre in creating the war story set of rules initially i kind of was going to be very much not necessarily a copy but a lot of influence from that you know set of rules that they yeah. that they produce as far as alpha and beta and then i started to really deviate and then i i, I went away from the polyhedral <laughs> dice and i went back to the basics that uh, aliens had which is the d6s right. and 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 you know i i i didn't stick with that abc kind of attributes that they have and right so it's going to be a little more like the traditional stuff less so than the twilight 2000s cool yeah probably should end this i've had you for an hour i'm sorry but uh <laughs> no worries <laughs> so it's, it's sunday morning <laughs> i'm sure you yeah, no worries no worries so when is this do you have any idea when this is going to be uh available pre-order your workforce uh, the the goal is this summer. This uh, summer, we're going to try to shoot for that. Uh, a lot of the factors that are going to influence that are, is going to be ultimately the amount of play playtest feedback from the Facebook group that we've got, as well as my own feed, you know, my own playtest group that that we've got in house, and and really the speed at which I I finish the book. I mean, the book is presently going to have about 11 to 12 chapters and I'm presently on chapter nine and the remaining chapters to be honest is more like hey here's a chapter to help the GM and here's the introduction adventure the rules per se have been pretty much solidly made we're tweaking some things here and there as we find the chapter I'm presently on is the equipment and gear chapter so oh, yeah. uh, I, I've I've got a, a list that I have to stat out in terms of world war ii weapons and vehicles so all that is just a matter of obviously time and, and playtest which is the story of my life for the last <laughs> uh, it's time and playtest and, and now fortunately i have the summer vacation uh where i don't necessarily have to be grading history papers so that's good however prior to any of this happening i set up a family vacation we're spending a month in the pacific northwest Oh, wow. <laughs> so we leave on Wednesday, uh, not this one, the next Wednesday, and we're we're going to be all of June in Seattle, Portland, and San Francisco. Wow. Wow. You'll be in my neck of the woods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you said when you said where you were in the Bay Area, I said, well, we're, we're going to be there for five nights in downtown San Francisco. So to, to San Francisco as a, as a kid, and then to Los Angeles, I've been a couple times as an adult. Uh, but I, I'm happy to be doing this because I've never gone to the Pacific Northwest up in Oregon and, and walked. Oh, it's beautiful up there. Yeah. Just make sure you bring sweatshirts and yeah, yeah. yeah especially for you <laughs> yeah. in Miami. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny because like uh, uh, when we go to Giants games in San Francisco, we'll, we'll leave in 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 just a a, a shirt and. But when you get there and then the you need the, a coat, the evening comes, you, you need a jacket. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told the folks that we're meeting up there because we have friends in, in, in Seattle. And I said, listen, you know, you, you mentioned because she had talked about the, th the stuff we can do. I said, you mentioned rafting and, and tubing. And she's like, yeah, but you're coming in June. That's it's still really cold. <laughs> you yeah. may not want to go tubing down an icy river. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, so much for that. 
Yeah, you would have you have to go like to Sacramento River. That's that's a little bit easier tubing. That's a nice tubing run. Okay. Uh, okay. Chico, uh, we they they have that. You know, they even rent the tubes and everything for you. But it's like oh, hundred degrees, hundred to hundred and fifteen in June. Yeah, out yeah. There, so. so it's beautiful. Wow. I mean, it's, that's what you want: ice cold right. and and freaking blazing heat above you. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, definitely not over in the North Cascades. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. No. Not it's still to cold. That's icy water. <laughs> So, so uh, yeah. along with the war stories, uh, are you thinking of any other kind of RPGs? I know you you have a day job, right? So, so you, you're you still teaching and stuff. I know it's just sort of like a part-time, I don't know what you'd call it, but uh, it's pretty serious stuff to put out a whole rule book. Have you thought about anything after war stories? I know you talk, you, you, I'm sure you have ideas on supplements. You, you mentioned on Facebook a different theater of war, like the Pacific uh, War and stuff like that. Yeah, the Pacific War is definitely going to be in the mix. And I think that the supplements are probably going to take the form of uh, like uh, cinematic one shots, the way that Aliens does, where yeah. you can maybe do the Battle of the Bulge or you can do oh. particular scenarios like Casino or maybe North Africa. Um, I, I would love, and one of the challenges is, of course, not write myself into a corner. I would love to extrapolate on the rules so that we have the ability to play pilots and to uh, play, you know, submarine crew or something, <laughs> you know, because, you know, you want to be able to kind of encompass the right. whole war. And there's so much to the war. You know, I, initially, I thought that the, the when Alex made, made mention of, of the topic, I said, well, yeah, because you could do you could do military and you could do espionage and you could do political. Right. And 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 he said, OK, that's all great, but we're going to focus <laughs> just on you know, 1944 summer. And, and I said, Oh, and he's like, yeah, 101st airborne, uh, maybe the sixth, uh, for the British. And I said, but wait, wait, man, you gotta be able to include some, so you can't just pigeonhole everybody into being soldiers. They're going to want to play French partisans. They might want to play war correspondents. Uh, they're going to play civilians of any kind. And, and he, he kind of said, okay, he opened it up to say, all right, we'll, we'll allow that. But the, but the theater of war is going to remain, basically Western Europe in the tail end of the war from 1944 to 45. And and that's where it presently is going to focus on and zero in on. But I I still feel like, you know, you got to be able to play some spies and you got to be able to play pilots and whatnot. So, yeah, you got Rommel in the desert. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to get some tank war. How great great is it to play uh, a, a, a party uh, where you guys are all members of the tank crew, you know, everyone's in a tank, and you get you name the tank, and what's that Brad Pitt movie? Yeah, whatever that. I never saw that one. Oh, mm. the Brad Pitt War movie, where yeah. everyone's in. That's a great film. It's a good movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I forget the title of it, but I, it's like the name of. I think it's the name of the tank, but now I can't. I can't, can't recall what it is. <laughs> yeah, I can, I see him, and and isn't Sheila Buff in that one too? I think so. I think so. I'm I'm googling it right now. It's called Fury. It's called Fury. That's what it is. Yeah, it's 2014 Fury, and uh, it was a a great like RPG esque kind of game where the players are all the members of the tank crew. To me, that's that's brilliant, and I think that's a fun thing to to try to embark on. Cool. So So you you got a little bit of work to do, uh, but yeah. Have you thought about doing anything after war stories or related to World War II? Maybe uh, what other areas well, of interest do you have? I know. Uh, I, I, I listen. I, I got. The, I got the okay from Ali. I called him oh. last night. I said, "Look, he's going to ask me, and so do I." And he says, "Feel free." 
Oh, wow. I said, all right, all right. So he's commented a couple of times on Facebook and hinted at this. Right. But, but you know, as much as War Stories is, is, is my writing and his idea, uh, this other thing is my idea and my writing. And, and really, this one's the one I'm, I'm, I'm also going to, you know, go into just as passionately. It is going to be a miniatures-based uh, game, a skirmish game uh, called Blood and Stone at the moment. That's the working title. And what it is is a miniatures game that I don't think uh, I've gotten into lots of miniatures games, and I don't think too many companies, if any, have really given it a go. It's going to be Paleolithic skirmishes between Neanderthals <laughs> and Cro-Magnons and all of the plethora of megafauna that existed in that time. How much more fantasy-oriented yet yet realistic and historically accurate can you get with skirmishes between Neanderthals? I mean, how many articles are you coming out with now that, that are all about Neanderthals and, and humans having sex? <laughs> It's like every other month there's a new article yeah. about how much sex they had. It's yeah. it's it's like uh it's like the Playboy Mansion in Paleolithic times. <laughs> so, you know, they also talk about how they fought and warred and battled and and and, right. and competed for resources and Alex liked the idea and he gave me the green light and and man, I've been playtesting that for about a year and a half or two years. Wow. And and we have a blast with it. I mean, there is a line of miniatures out there. Uh there are a few, not just Reaper but a couple of others that that produce those miniatures and there's a chance that we might produce the miniatures through firelock and that yeah. might be a kickstarter so blood and stone is the next thing that when they clear up space in their work uh schedule that they're going to jump on uh because i personally think that it's it's going to be a big hit because of the absence of that sort of genre and setting uh, now granted of course it is very niche it's not your typical medieval or future sci-fi kind of stuff but right. i think that the market is inundated with so much of that other stuff that to see something fresh and new that isn't you know i mean how many you know now you got some wizard of oz stuff you got fairies you've got you know all kinds of niche games that are doing pretty well you know yeah. uh, you know they're not they're not gw but that's okay right wow so, that's pretty interesting I, I know there's there's like a couple rpgs that deal with that period time period yes, yes, but, uh, yes. like cave something cave master and then there's a paleo paleo mythic paleo mythic is the latest one and they they did a great job i said oh look at this they're 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 already working my audience for me <laughs> and, that, and that's done by like a miniature company what osprey right yes yes yes, yes. osprey does oh. that and 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 it's an rpg that they put out and i yeah. I, I read it cover to cover just oh, to, did you <laughs> yeah 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 i bought that oh man you don't even want to know i, I, I kind of found that by accident <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That stuff comes out, and I, I jump on it, and 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 so yeah. Blood and Stones gonna be out at one point, and uh, one of the unique things about that game is that you know I said the Cro-Magnon is a faction, and and the Neanderthals is a faction, but unlike a lot of other miniatures games, I'm gonna make Dire Wolves and Sabertooth Cats a playable faction. Cool. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so you can play like saber tooth cat. How fun is that, man? I love those things. I, as a kid, I used to love the saber, the idea of a saber tooth tiger. Yes, yes. And then He Man goes riding on one, and you're like, what? <laughs> <He -Man>. Yes. <laughs> Well, thanks. This was a fantastic interview. Thank you for agreeing to 
come wait. Well, for, for I guess it's not that early for you in, in Florida, but still spend your Saturday, Sunday morning here with us. The hey, for sure. Definitely. It was a blast. Thank you for having me. And, and, and I uh, uh, appreciate the enthusiasm for the, for the, uh, for the war stories and all the support that you guys provide us. No problem. Cool. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul, Angeline, and Gabriel. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Garcia, thank you for being on and uh, have a good day. All right. Thanks, guys.